Good morning, church. Greetings in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a beautiful morning uh, that we come together in fellowship, uh, together in singing out to the Lord um, in worship and also in hearing his word. Uh, we are privileged to have uh, Jeff with us today. Uh, most of you who were there yesterday got to, to meet Jeff and to, to hear him um, even teach uh, throughout the, the seminar. Um, we're hoping that uh, next year, uh, by Feb, um, we'll have another one of, of these things as, as a continuation of, of what we were doing um, to get um, the people of God equipped and, and, and able also to, to equip others um, in, 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 in like manner. Um, Jeff is a, is a gifted Bible teacher, as, as you've witnessed yesterday, uh, very simple and very profound. Um, in the way he, he, he does his, um, you know, his teaching. He's a program director at uh, Leadership Resources International, um, the, the African um, leg of it, and, and, and more Southern African focused, um, but with uh, even other countries um, that are not uh, you know, in the Southern African region. Um, Kenya, as he was in Kenya um, this week, um, and he's a lecturer at uh, Shepherd's School um, um, in, in Brackenest. So uh, let's uh, welcome uh, Brother Jeff to come and uh, give us the word. Jeff. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you. Um, Greetings from my wife and family. Uh, my wife uh, was going to come with me, but the granddaughters are spending the weekend. So if it was a choice between accompanying me and staying home with the granddaughters, I lose on that uh, option. Um, yeah, we enjoyed yesterday uh, doing a workshop um, on tools for digging and discovering in the Word of God, and we use the book of Ruth to do that digging and discovering, and we uh, pulled a lot of threads, and we discovered uh, some surprising things in the story of Ruth and God's message to us through the book of Ruth. So this morning, uh, one of the things we do in our full workshops around uh, the, the continent and the world is uh, we do that dig and discover, but we also uh, do demonstrations. And we try to um, demonstrate how all of that information we found from the Word of God can be used to minister that Word for transformation of people. Uh, and so this morning, I want us to look together at the book of Ruth, and Ruth chapter 4 is what I will be preaching this morning, Ruth chapter 4. But let me begin reading from Judges chapter 21, verse 25, into chapter 1 of Ruth for a bit. Judges chapter 21, verse 25, into Ruth 1. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. 
In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, the other Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. She arises with her daughter-in-laws, and they come back to Bethlehem. Orpah goes back to Moab. Ruth remains with Naomi. Naomi, or Ruth rather, says that she wants to Naomi's God to be her God, Naomi's people to be her people. She is committed. She is devoted. And when they get back into town, Naomi's understanding of this is in verse 21, chapter 1 and verse 21. Naomi says, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. And here is this widow with her widowed daughter-in-law. They have come back empty. They have come back without anything. And Ruth must go glean in the fields. She ends up gleaning in a field of this man named Boaz, who we'll see more about in a moment. Come to chapter 4, and let me read the first several verses. Chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. And he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Many people would describe their lives in some way as being empty. People experience a sense of emptiness in their lives. 
There are empty cupboards, empty petrol tanks, empty wallets. Perhaps it's empty arms from losing someone. An empty nest, maybe an empty home. An empty heart, an empty soul, an empty life. How much of that have you experienced? How much of that causes you to groan in the middle of the night? We spend so much of our time and our energy trying to fill the emptiness. Fill it with all kinds of things, seeking after fulfillment. But often we're still empty. After all, how can emptiness fill itself? Emptiness must be filled from outside of itself. There must be something outside of us that has a fullness that can fill our emptiness. Here is a story in the book of Ruth, in the scriptures, that is a story of moving from emptiness to fullness. It is out of the fullness of a redeemer that Naomi and Ruth's emptiness gets filled as he, the redeemer, pays the ransom as he fills what is lacking. And I would suggest to you that this is in the word of God for us today because we also experience an emptiness and we need such a redeemer as this. We need a redeemer from whom we can draw fullness because our emptiness, your emptiness, it may indeed be greater than you even realize. How can this happen? How can we move from emptiness to fullness? It is because of the Redeemer, the accomplishments of the Redeemer. And here in Naomi and Ruth's situation, they are empty, and yet every time Ruth comes into contact with Boaz, the Redeemer, in her case. When she comes into contact with him, she walks away full. What does this Redeemer accomplish as the redemption finally takes place here in chapter 4? Accomplishments of this Redeemer by which God is revealing the greater Redeemer's work to us as we will see we don't have Boaz ah but we have someone greater even than Boaz what does the Redeemer accomplish that will bring us from empty to full first in verses 1 through 6 is that the Redeemer fulfills the law the Redeemer fulfills the law. Those first six verses that I read show us this. Boaz has found a nearer Redeemer than himself for Naomi and Ruth. 
Now, what does this, what is this about? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 25, God's word, God's law said that he wanted the inheritance to remain within each family. And in order to make sure that happened, if the people died who could carry on the line of that family, then a nearest relative must come in and raise up children in that family's line. So the inheritance would not be lost, that the inheritance would not be dissipated among all the rest of the tribe or the tribes so that each family would continue as they multiplied, the inheritance would continue to grow through their multiplication. Well, here Naomi has lost her husband, and her sons have died as well. There's no heir. There's no one to receive the inheritance. There must be a near relative who will come in and who will raise up children so that the line of Elimelech will continue on. So that the inheritance will continue on. This first redeemer, this close relative, he says he'll do it. He'll buy the land. He'll make the investment. But then Boaz tells him, did you notice it? In verse 5, then Boaz said, T's and C's apply. Read the fine print. <laughs> because if you get the land, you also get the widow, Ruth the Moabite, a foreigner, and you will need to raise up children with her in Elimelech's name. And the inheritance will all go to those descendants, not to your own descendants. And he replies and says, oh, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. That will hurt my own inheritance. Whatever I invest here with Ruth and Elimelech's line, I will lose from my own. I've got to take care of my own. I can't do that. Boaz is next in line. And he does it. He's expressed already in chapter 3. He wants to do it. He wants to redeem. He has cared for Ruth along the way. And caring for Naomi along the way. And he wants to do it. But he will follow the law. He will fulfill the law of God. And say there is a nearer relative. He must have the first option. And if he doesn't want to do it. Then... Boaz will do it, and Boaz himself will indeed take gladly Ruth as his wife and raise up these children. He fulfills the law. He follows the word of God. He stays on the line, right? And he does it willingly. He does it willingly. He's not worried about putting his own inheritance at risk. He's not worried about taking that risk upon himself. Marrying Ruth, taking this responsibility, had the potential of diminishing his own resources. 
But he's already been spending his resources on Ruth, hasn't he? He's already told the men in the field, when she comes to glean, make sure you uh, spill a little extra grain so that she and Naomi get a little more in their gleaning. He's already shown his willingness, his obedience to the law, his willingness to pay the price, to take the risk upon himself. All of this qualified Boaz to be the redeemer, fulfilling the law in a way that demonstrated God's compassionate intent for his law. That's the kind of redeemer we need. That is the kind of redeemer we need. Why? Because we have broken the law. We have failed to keep the law. We have failed in our willingness to serve our creator, the true and living God. We are condemned under the law. We don't experience the law in terms of God's compassionate intent because of our sin, because of our rebellion against it. We are guilty before him. We need a redeemer who would willingly pay the price. We need a redeemer who will fulfill the law on our behalf who will keep the word on our behalf and who will set us free from the condemnation we deserve. Oh, we need a redeemer like this who will take all the risk upon himself, who is not afraid to come and to pay the price to redeem us, who will bring us the compassionate intent of the heart of God removing its condemnation from we who are lawbreakers. And we have that kind of a redeemer. There is this redeemer. It is our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his life upon this earth fulfilled God's law in every dimension, who was obedient from the heart, in word, in thought, in deed. In his whole life, he fulfilled all of the law for all of God's people and who willingly suffered the condemnation of that law which we had broken, not concerned about himself, not unwilling to count the cost, not unwilling to pay the price to take all the condemnation upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He became the curse and took the curse upon himself that we might become the children of God. This is the Redeemer we have in Jesus Christ. Do you realize that this, this is your greatest emptiness? Your greatest emptiness is not your wallet. Your greatest emptiness 
is you're standing before God, standing before God with nothing, nothing but guilt, nothing but condemnation, nothing but failure. And into that emptiness flows and floods the work of the Redeemer. A fullness of merit in Him. A fullness of grace and forgiveness. Maybe we can make better use of whatever ways we experience emptiness in this life. If the stomach is empty... Let the pains of that cause you to think of the pains of the cross and how the Redeemer has filled the greatest emptiness in your life. And thank God for the hunger pain that points you to the pain of Christ in filling your emptiness. Find your satisfaction in Christ. The accomplishment of the Redeemer is to fulfill the law. Secondly, the Redeemer accomplishes the purchase of the bride and her inheritance. The Redeemer accomplishes the purchase of the bride and her inheritance. This Deuteronomy 25, redemption is accomplished according to the custom in verses 7 through 10. Look at how this happens. Verse 7, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So, when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. And now his, he would become known as the unsandaled. <gasps> Disgrace, shame. Who's that guy? Oh, he's an unsandaled. He's one of the unsandaled. He had to give up his right to Boaz. Verse 9, Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, this is drawing a crowd, You are witnesses this day. Notice that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the bride price was part of this, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead might not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. The custom is followed. The transaction is witnessed. The sandal is removed. Boaz has rightfully purchased the land, the inheritance, and he has including in that the bride price for Ruth. Boaz, purchasing it in this way, 
means that he brings all of his resources to this, all of his fields and all of his barley and wheat where they had been gleaning, but brings it into his resources in a way that does not remove it from Naomi and Ruth. He secures this for them. Now he will raise up descendants. What this did, what this purchase meant for them, is protection and provision. Protecting and providing for the widow Ruth, which will do the same for Naomi. Protecting and providing for the family that will grow by purchasing the land. So that as these children from Boaz and Ruth are born, they have an inheritance. They have their land. And protecting and providing for future generations. Here in Bethlehem, where this is taking place, so that whoever comes from Boaz and Ruth's marriage can call the city of Bethlehem his own. Now here's the point. Naomi could not do this. She did not have the resources to secure her future. Ruth could not do this. She did not have the resources to secure her future. The nearer kinsman was unwilling to secure their future for them. He's unwilling. They are unable how is it going to happen? There must be a redeemer who has the resources to be able to make the purchase, to be able to buy back out of their destitute state this family in a way that will secure their future. Boaz did that for them. And in our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, there dwells the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. In him is all glory and all riches and all strength and all honor. All treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in him. And of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Jesus purchases his bride and secures her future. He pays the ultimate price. He pays the bride price of his own precious blood to take us as his bride to himself. And in doing so, he protects our inheritance. He secures the future and protects us from anyone taking it away. Protects us from ever losing it by giving us the Holy Spirit as a seal, as an engagement ring, as it were. When Paul talks about marriage in Ephesians 5, he doesn't just talk about marriage. He says what this is all about really 
is Christ and the church. And what this Boaz and Ruth was all about, really, is Christ and the church. He has redeemed us. He has bought us to be his own and to be in the intimate relationship with him. Our marriages are to reflect that. That's the point of the husband loving his wife as Christ loves the church to be like a Boaz to his wife, to be one who expresses and extends the compassion of God, spreading his wings over to protect and provide for and to love his wife. And that's the point of the wife being a helper fit for him and submitting to her husband, not submitting because she is inferior, but submitting because she has the glorious privilege of demonstrating in the marriage the relationship of the church to Christ. Your marriage is not about you. And your marriage is not about your fulfillment. Your marriage is about displaying Christ and the church. Because that's the only marriage that will last forever. All of our marriages will dissolve into the one final eternal marriage of Christ and the church. He has purchased us with his own blood. We are not our own but we belong to him. The fullness of his grace has drawn us to himself. And that is where we draw our protection. That is where we draw our provision. That is where we draw the security of our future. In the fullness of our groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Redeemer continues. The Redeemer also accomplishes this. He secures covenant blessings. He secures covenant blessings for his bride. Look at verses 11 and 12. The way the people begin to react. In verse 11, Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. We are witnesses to this. And they pronounce a blessing. But it's not a blessing they make up. It's a blessing that draws upon redemptive history. It's a blessing that draws upon the covenants that God has made with his people. Listen to it in 11. He says, or they say, May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, Ruth, make her like Rachel and Leah, who were Rachel and Leah. These were the wives of Jacob, the wives of Israel. These were the mothers of the 12 sons who became the 12 tribes and the nation of Israel. May the nation, the work of God in building his people in this world, may the work of God doing that continue 
through this redeemed marriage, this redemption marriage. You see, they're drawing upon the covenant with Abraham, aren't they? We've already seen the land. The land is secured in this family, part of the Abrahamic blessing. And now it is the building, the fruitful and multiplying that is being referenced and pronounced upon them that in this marriage now, Ruth, think about this, Ruth, a Gentile, is now going to become like Rachel and Leah, building the people of God, becoming part of that line. May you act worthily in Ephrata and be renowned in Bethlehem. God told Abraham, I will make your name great. And the people are saying, may you be renowned in Bethlehem. May your name be great in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Referencing another redemption marriage that was unorthodox. As Tamar had tricked Judah into becoming her uh, husband, if you will. And now here's another unorthodox redemption marriage it is a Gentile coming in and yet just as God had blessed that in fact Boaz was descended from Perez so also God will bless this the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant are pronounced upon this what an amazing amazing reality What's amazing about it? Well, first of all, what's amazing is that a Gentile is being redeemed under the law instead of being cursed under the law. A Gentile is being brought in to the people of God, into the line of building God's people instead of being cut off from God's people. A Gentile is being protected, purchased, married, instead of being alienated. A Gentile is being secured in the Abrahamic covenant and blessings, instead of being lost and removed far from God. How? How is it possible for a Gentile to experience all of this? How is it possible for the Abrahamic blessings of the covenant to be secured for a Gentile? It is for one reason. It is because of the Redeemer. It's the Redeemer who does all of that. It's the Redeemer who secures people in covenant relationship with God. This had been God's purpose all along, hadn't it? He also told Abraham, you will be the father of many nations. 
And through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Ruth is some of the first fruits of that, even in the Old Testament. Ruth, the Moabite, the widow collecting at the barley harvest, became one of the first in God's international harvest of people in covenant with himself being grafted in to those blessings. I am a Gentile. Some people say I don't look like one. But I am a full-blooded Gentile. But you know what? Are you a Gentile? We can be full-blooded Gentile sons of Abraham. Children of the promise. Because of the Redeemer. The descendant of Abraham to whom all the promises were ultimately made. Paul says in Galatians 3.16. Was not many descendants but one. Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham. He is the son of Abraham in whom all covenant blessings are found. And his work secures all of that for we who believe in him. As you read the Bible, you read these great promises, this covenant, this work of God. Wow. If you're in Christ, then it's for you. You're part of that. You're part of something much bigger than you may realize. You are part of an international community gathered together in covenant relationship with God. What are your insecurities? What are your fears? What are your worries? overshadow them with the security of the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. He has redeemed you in him and he will not let you go. Fourth and finally, the Redeemer accomplishes the restoration of fruitfulness. The restoration of fruitfulness. Notice what happens now. In verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Fruitfulness. From the deadness of Naomi's family and sons. To new life being born from Boaz and Ruth. And look who they congratulate. Verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. <laughs> 
May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life. Her husband and sons are dead, but now she has a grandchild. And a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. The Redeemer has been a nourisher of life to Naomi, even enabling her to nourish the child on her lap. Naomi, who came back from Moab saying, I have come back empty. At the end of the book, those empty arms are now filled with this child. A child of great promise for the future. This is the restoration of fruitfulness that the Redeemer has accomplished. It's been the case all throughout the book. If you compare the beginning and the end of each chapter throughout this book, you find that Ruth goes to Boaz empty and she returns from Boaz full. She goes to glean in the fields the work of the poor, of the empty, but Boaz shows her favor, so she comes back to Naomi's house full with barley. Ruth goes again to Boaz empty and in need of redemption. She uncovers his feet so that he will cover her with his wings, an expression of the wings of the Lord under whose protection she has come. And she returns again to Naomi full, full not just of barley, but full of hope. And in the end, Boaz's redeeming work takes this empty, fruitless family and restores them to the fruitfulness of the Garden of Eden, to the fruitfulness of the Abrahamic covenant, as Boaz and Ruth, a Jew and Gentile together, are fruitful and multiply. Fruitful and multiply. The fruitfulness the Redeemer restores leads to someone Verse 17, the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And just so you don't miss the connections, this book ends with a genealogy. At this point in the story, this genealogy is not boring. This genealogy becomes exciting. These are the generations of Perez, the one who was born from Tamar and Judah. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nation, Nation fathered Salmon. There's a lot of generations going on here. And then in verse 21, Salmon fathered Boaz, 
Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. The problem of judges was there was no king in Israel. Through Boaz's redemption of Ruth, the king will come. The king will come. This is all leading to David, the king who turned Bethlehem into the city of David, whose name became renowned in all Israel, who solved the problem of the judges, a king after God's own heart who brought the lawfulness and the compassion of God to his kingdom who would write Psalm 100, calling for all the earth, all the nations, all the Gentiles, Moabites included, to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise as the sheep of his pasture. The line seemed to have died with the death of Elimelech and his sons, but through the Redeemer, the King will come. And it is through this very line that the King, Jesus himself, has come. And guess who shows up in another genealogy? In Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. You ever wondered why the New Testament begins with a genealogy? your most favorite thing in the scripture to read? It's because of this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And as you read down through the genealogy of Christ, what do you find? You find a quotation of the end of Ruth. Verse 5 of Matthew chapter 1, Salmon fathered Boaz, by Rahab, oh, she was also part of this. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. There she is. Part of the line of Christ. He restores fruitfulness to us. Enabling us to be fruitful and multiply by making disciples of all the nations. By continuing the line that has burst out of the family line of Abraham. And is among every tribe, tongue, and nation today. He restores that fruitfulness to us. You may be experiencing emptiness in many different ways. But do you realize your true emptiness, your real emptiness, is before God? You are empty of any merit before Him. You are empty of any hope in yourself before Him. You are empty of any ability to bring yourself to Him. Empty of being able to lay hold of him. But into that emptiness, 
Jesus, the Redeemer, will pour the abundance of his grace. It's the deepest crevices that the water goes to first. And when you realize the depth of your emptiness, the flood of grace will come. As you look to the one who has all fullness, all fullness of merit for you, all fullness of grace for you, all fullness of forgiveness for you, all fullness to bring you to God in eternal covenant relationship. His water of life, his precious blood flows to the deepest emptiness and in him you will find a fullness that you can find nowhere else why seek after a full wallet and remain empty before God why seek after full shoe closets and remain empty before God why seek after a fullness of earthly power when you can seek after the fullness of God that is in Christ Jesus to save you from your sin? And then any other emptiness you may still have in this sin-cursed world can be a reminder to you of the greater pain, of the greater emptiness that has been filled and find the fullness of your satisfaction in Jesus Christ, your Redeemer, your King. And draw upon the fullness of his grace to handle all other emptiness in life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us such a Redeemer as this. One who has accomplished everything necessary in an abundant way so that we can have the fullness of relationship with you. We thank you for that. We thank you for what you did with Naomi, though it was painful for her. Thank you for what you did with Ruth. Thank you for what you did through Boaz to show us what Christ would do in an even greater way. And we thank you for him. And we thank you in his name, even our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.